You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Oftentimes, a vast amount of wealth can draw a lot of attention. Money and fame go together like peanut butter and jelly, or little blue boxes and Tiffany's. But some people are content to just make the money. They don't want the notoriety that comes with having more than everyone else. Unfortunately, and maybe ironically even, the rich don't always get what they want. Joseph Richardson was one of the richest men in New York City in the late 1800s. He was born in England, but came to the United States to establish himself as a contractor. Over the span of his career, he was responsible for the Bridgeport Waterworks and large sections of railroads like the Union Pacific, Missouri Pacific, and Iron Mountain. He loved land, and he snatched up as much of it as he could, accumulating a net worth of $20 million before he died. And yet, despite his vast holdings within New York City, he hated it. Not the money, but the city itself. It was loud and ostentatious, and disruptive to his quiet nature. Joseph lived far outside of New York with his wife Emma, also a landowner, and together they were quite the power couple of their time, though they did their best to stay out of the limelight. Joseph was known to have said that he'd rather throw away $10,000 than see his name in the newspapers. If only he'd spent the money to prevent what eventually happened next. In 1882, rival developers Patrick McQuaid and Hyman Sarner had plans for an apartment building on the Upper East Side at Lexington Avenue and 82nd Street. The area was booming, with new apartments and shops going up all the time. McQuaid and Sarner had already snatched up all the nearby land they needed for their building. All except one. And its owner? Emma Richardson, Joseph's wife. The developers thought it was an easy get, considering they'd already bought all the other plots around it. Joseph, however, saw that he and his wife were in the enviable position of having something the two men wanted, no, needed, to complete their plans. But Joseph was a reasonable man, and he was more than willing to let it go, for a price. McQuaid and Sarner offered him $1,000 for it. Joseph, thinking the price was too low, countered with a slightly higher offer of $5,000. The men laughed at the absurd number and refused, but they continued with their plans to build the apartment building, albeit a slightly smaller lot than they'd hoped for. And Joseph, irritated by their refusal to take him up on his offer, decided that he was going to have the last laugh. He'd put up a building of his own, one so tall it would block the light to the rival apartments next door. Not only that, but the reclusive developer was so determined to make it work that he planned to live in one of the rooms, right in the middle of that noisy city he hated so much. Joseph broke ground shortly thereafter, and his apartment was finished months before his rivals. But there was just one problem. It was hard to live in. 
The plot that the two other developers had wanted to buy from him was only 102 feet long by 5 feet wide. It was a strip of land so small that it was thought to be unusable. But Joseph Richardson wouldn't let that stop him. The newspapers called it the Spite House, and spiteful it was. Although one might have thought it was meant to punish the tenants living inside, rather than the developers of the other building. The narrow front doors led to an interior hallway measuring just over 8 feet long by 10 feet deep. Each floor housed only one room, accessible by a hallway 14 feet long and almost 4 feet wide. The rooms weren't much better either, coming in at 18 feet long by almost 10 feet wide. However, despite the building's narrow construction, Joseph managed to fit a lot inside it. The dining room on the first floor boasted a table and a sofa, with a sideboard and a mantle as well. He moved his family in, and they lived happily there for many years. His wife was quoted in the paper as calling her new home as comfortable as any she had ever lived in. Upon Joseph's death 15 years later, the house passed through various owners, until the new Lexington Avenue subway line began construction around 1911. By then, the house was more a curiosity than a viable home. The money it would have taken to reinforce it to withstand the underground work being done wasn't worth spending. So in 1915, a real estate developer bought the Spite House, only to tear it down. A more modern apartment building now stands in its place, built the year Joseph Richardson's pet project was demolished. And the man who did everything he could to keep his name out of the press isn't known for his business acumen or his work developing the country's railroad system. The only thing he's remembered for now is that skinny house and his stubborn will. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Most people don't usually set out to be a hero. They tend to be pushed into a situation where their will and determination are put to the test. Prove yourself during a time of war and medals and ticker tape parades aren't far behind. That's just the way things often work. Simon, however, didn't choose to go to war. He was drafted, but his reluctance didn't stop him from helping his fellow troops, and his work following World War II cemented him as a hero of the British military for years to come. Several years after the war had ended, the British Navy got word of a communist uprising happening in China. They sent the HMS Amethyst, an armed frigate, to keep an eye on things in case they got ugly. The ship docked at a port in Hong Kong where one of the younger men, a boy, really, 17-year-old George Hickenbottom, stumbled upon someone fending for himself. His name was Simon, and he was sick and hungry and in need of medical attention. George snuck him on board the ship and then helped him get back on his feet. As Simon recovered, he started getting to know the crew. When he was well enough to stand, they allowed him to remain on the ship and even gave him a job. He was put in charge of pest control, a task that he handled with gusto. After all, the alternative was ending up back on the Hong Kong streets, alone and hungry. Captain Ian Griffiths took quite a liking to Simon, as had the rest of the crew, and he became their moral support when times got tough. They shared their food with him and allowed him to sleep where he liked. Later, when Griffiths was promoted and replaced, folks on board the ship worried that Simon might have to go, but the new commander was just as friendly toward him. Soon after, the crew was given new orders, to travel to Nanjing and replace the ship that had been on duty there. But during their journey, the Amethyst was attacked. A field gun battery operated by the People's Liberation Army had opened fire on the ship. The new commander took one of the first hits while he was in his cabin and died shortly after. Simon happened to be with him at the time. He'd been badly burned and had sustained shrapnel injuries as well, but he somehow managed to crawl across the deck while the shelling continued, escaping to the medical bay with a small group of other crew members, where they waited out the sounds of explosions outside. Death was almost a certainty, but the crew took care of Simon's wounds as best they could. For 10 days, the ship took fire while the crew struggled to stay alive and afloat. They packed the holes below the waterline with hammocks and bedding. Meanwhile, Simon fought to recover. He distracted himself and the other crew by doing what he did best, catching rats. After the Amethyst was able to get away over a week after the shelling had begun, news of Simon's efforts made its way to England. The public was enamored with this unexpected hero, one who had never asked to be part of something so dangerous. But he handled it all with grace, not once succumbing to fear or panic. People sent him letters from all over, so many in fact that the Navy had to hire someone just to answer his mail for him. He even received awards for his bravery, including the Dickon Medal. For those who don't know, the Dickon Medal is the highest award given to animals in the British military. You see, Simon 
who had hunted rats and kept up the morale aboard the HMS Amethyst, wasn't a man. No man would have been able to nap inside the captain's hat or go wherever he pleased on board a military ship. That's because Simon was a cat. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.